passage. But uh, so if you're able, would you stand with me as we read from Genesis 24? Be reading verses 1 through 28 and 54 through 58. Genesis 24. Pay careful attention. This is God's word. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing uh, to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord. And said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. 
Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Then turning over to verses 54 through 58. And he ate, and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Welcome. Thank you, Dave. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, let us pray. Lord, this is your word. Unless you give us eyes to see you there, to see your beauty, unless you give us ears to hear you, we won't either see you or hear you. So give us eyes, give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you, and give us a humble heart to obey you, Lord. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Not too long ago, I preached a series of sermons based on Genesis. And the series started pretty much here, almost at the end of Abraham's life. We just heard the story. Abraham is now advanced in years and pours into the task of looking for a wife for his son, for Isaac. Now, it seems kind of weird because Isaac is a mature man. If we do the math, Sarah, the previous chapter, we learned that Sarah died. She died at 127 years old. And Isaac was born when she was 90. So he's at least 37 years old. And we could ask, well... What's going on with a 37-year-old man that his parents have to look for a wife for him, don't we? What's wrong with that kind of man? But that was the norm back in those days. Parents look, husbands and wives, for their children. In this case, because of his age, Abraham seeks help in this task, help from one of his servants. So it's evident that Abraham trusts this man. Whoever this servant is, Abraham trusts trust this guy. However, Abraham trusts is not only or primarily, I must say, on his servant. He trusts God's promise. Abraham is trusting God's promise. And this story shows us how Abraham is trusting God and the promise he made to him. And it's also a good reminder of how you and I can trust the very same God Abraham trusted in the very same way Abraham trusted. 
God is the key for Abraham's servant to be successful in the task given to him. That's the reason you and I can be sure that no matter, no matter the task, whatever God calls you to do, it is possible to do. So imagine, imagine the, the owner of the company you work for asking you personally to do something. If the owner of the company asks you personally to do something, it must be very important for the company, even if you don't think it is. Now, can you imagine how much more important it must be what God asks from us? That's why I want to talk to you about three things this morning. I want to talk to you about the value of the task. Now, what task? Whatever God calls you to do. If you're a parent, the task of being a parent. If you're an employee, the task of being, a, being an employee or a student, worker, whatever your situation, God is calling you to do something where you are. That's the task. So I want to talk to you about the value of the task, the strategy to fulfill the task, and the key to the fulfillment. All right, the first part of the chapter tells us about the task Abraham has, the task Abraham gives to his servant. And the way he speaks of the task gives us a hint about the value of the task. Okay, Abraham wants to find a wife for Isaac. Now, said that back in those days, that was normal. Back in those days, in that culture, that was normal. It may seem ridiculous to us, but that's how things worked back then. Now, as foreign as that might seem to us, living in the 21st century, there are actually some places in the world that are still like that. I was surprised as I was doing um, some studying of the passage and of the culture I lived in. I was surprised that even not too far from Monterey, that's still going on. Parents have a lot to say about whom their children are going to marry. San Pedro is a city next to Monterey, 15 minutes, 20 minutes from Monterey. San Pedro is the wealthiest city in Latin America. The wealthiest city in Latin America. That's not anything. That's, that's something. Uh, and even in that culture, in the first, 21st century, in a wealthy culture, parents tell their children whom to marry. But you know why they do it? Because of their wealth. We want to keep the wealth. So even today, this is going on. But anyhow, that's not the topic I want to address. I want to show us what, why this is so important to Abraham. And the first thing that tells us this is a very important task for Abraham it's, well, let's see whom he seeks help from. Whom does he go to? He's advanced in the years, remember? So he cannot move around as easily as 
years before, maybe. And if we remember, at this point in his life, Abraham is far from his family. His wife just died on the previous chapter. So Abraham, says the text, seeks help from the oldest servant, from the oldest servant of his, of, of his household. Okay? So it must be a man he trusts. Abraham looks for someone he can trust. Now, this man, we don't, we don't know for sure, but might be Eliezer of Damascus. Because in chapter 15, when God tells Abraham that God will re- reward him greatly, Abraham tells God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Might be this man, someone who's been with Abraham for a long time. So it's a man who knows Abraham pretty well. It's a man who must have Abraham in high esteem. And Abraham must have him in high esteem as well. After all, he was going to become the heir when Abraham had a child. Of course, he could be jealous of Isaac, but but if that were the case, remember, Isaac is 37 years old. So Abraham had the time to observe. If, If that had been the case, Abraham would not have given them the task. So that, that's one thing that tells us how important this is for Abraham. He trusts this task to his oldest servant. But second, let's see how, how Abraham charges him with the task. Okay? Verses 2 and 4 say, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Abraham makes him swear that he will not find him a Canaanite wife. The thing about the hand under the thigh. That was just a form of signing the promise. You promise? Do this for me. But see, specifically, he asked him to swear by God. Now, we live in a 21st century when a lot of people, I mean, there are some people who don't believe in God, and that number seems to be growing, but in a place where everything you do, where everything that happens had a connection to the gods, that's not something to be taken lightly. So Abraham asked him, swear to me by God. Now, why, why does Abraham ask that? That he will not find him a Canaanite wife. Is he a racist? No. The first readers of Genesis knew why. Because if we continue to read the Bible later on, we come to know who the Canaanites were. And we find out that they, were, they worshipped other gods. 
But not only other gods, gods who demanded human sacrifices. They put their children on fire. It wasn't that the Canaanites were a lesser race. It was that their culture was evil. On top of the human sacrifices, they practiced sacred prostitution. So we can see the value of the task, how important this is for Abraham, by not only to whom he charges with it, but, but how he does it. And lastly, Abraham is not only thinking about his own responsibility as a father. Isaac is the promised son. He is the seed through whom God's promise will be advanced. That's, that's the reason why Isaac must, must not go to another place. Although he must not marry a Canaanite woman, he must not leave Canaan. That's the land that God promised to Abraham. Listen to verses 5 and 6. He says, the servant says, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said, See to it that you do not take my son back there. In other words, no way, Jose. Don't take it there. Don't take him there. You see, just as Abraham, we, we, all, we all have what I'm going to call a double task or a double responsibility. Abraham was responsible to find a wife for his son. But while doing that, he was supposed to trust God all the while. A double task, a double responsibility to find a wife and to trust God. I would think, if we think about it, the last task is not in conflict with the former. Okay, he finds a wife for Isaac while trusting God. Okay, and so... So it is with us today. We are not all in the same life situation. Some some of us are married. Some have children. Some are still single. Some of us work. Some others are students. Some have debt. Others don't. However, whatever your situation, you have a responsibility. And that responsibility is not in conflict with trusting the Lord. See, for instance, if you're married, what's your responsibility as a husband or a wife? How does your trust in God looks like in your marriage? Whether you work or study, what's your responsibility? What does it look like to trust God as you work or you study? 
You have children. What's your responsibility as a parent? And what does it look like to trust God as you raise your children? You have dad or maybe not. Don't. You don't. What's your responsibility before God handling money? The money is giving you. The possessions is giving you. See, as we think about it, it's clear that we need, a, at the very least, a general idea about how we are going to carry on our responsibility before God. And that's why we need this strategy, a strategy to fulfill it. And we see the servant's strategy right away in verse 5, where he says, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land, he says to Abraham. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Now, what's the servant doing? Is he worrying about it? No. He's preparing himself. He's planning. He's begun to think about what could or could not happen. What am I going to do if I have this or that problem? So we need to think about it. How are we going to carry on our task? Because if you're anything like me, then you know that disappointment and frustration come quick. We get mad when things don't go the way we planned. And we look for an easy way out. We justify our disobedience, disobedience, don't we? In fact, sometimes we assume that because we're trying to be good people, because we're trying to do the right thing, things should be easy. I'm obeying God. Things should flow easily, we think. Now, we, we also see a second part of the servant strategy in verses 10 and 11. It says there, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. So the servant not only plans, but he also acts. He does what any family looking for a wife for their children or son would do. It was important to demonstrate that Isaac had the means to support a family. So he takes the camels and all sorts of gifts. He's making sure there's no doubt from the woman or her family. Yes, his master will be able to provide. Now remember, he was to take the woman found to Canaan. It was hard enough to live, to go away. So he wants to make sure there's no doubt from them. And on top of that, 
See, he goes where there will be women. And he arrives at just the precise moment when he knows women will be there drawing water from the well. So humanly speaking, he does whatever he needs to do to succeed. And this is, I think, a lesson for many of us. A lot of times we think that because God is with us, it doesn't matter how we do things. It doesn't matter if we don't plan things. For, uh, from where I come from, there are people who think that planning shows a lack of trust in God. I need to plan. God is in control. God is in charge. Just believe. So this story teaches us that there's nothing wrong with planning. Of course, we must be, we must be open to the possibility that things may not go as planned. But that's no reason to not think about how to do our God-given tasks. Or God-given responsibilities. Lastly, there's something more about the servant's strategy. In verse 12, we, we read, And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Some would say this is the most important thing of all. He prays. Prayer is the most important thing of all. And maybe they're right. Prayer is one way to clearly depend on God. Because we tell Him that we're not enough. Prayer is one way of realizing that, well, how small we are. You see, I'm not... I'm not so sure I would say the same thing. That prayer is the most important thing above, above all other things. All the things are also important. If the only thing the author was trying to communicate is that we need to pray, then why give us all this information? Why not present the servant immediately and only pray? See, many, maybe, maybe some of those who pray a lot need to, well, not to pray less, but to start thinking about how to get things done. God calls us all the time to trust Him in all areas of our life. Marriage, parenting, work, school, with our money and possessions. What are we going to do? Maybe some of those who spend their time planning and doing need to start praying seriously. We need to depend on God rather than on our own strength. Rather than on our capacities. Now, what am I telling you? Does this mean 
that if we do these three things, if we prepare, we plan, and if we act and we pray, then we'll be able to fulfill the task? Well, yes and no. Let's see the key to the fulfillment. At the very end of the story, we see that Rebecca accepts to go away and marry Isaac. Her family accepts. And this is shocking. No one in his right mind today would let his daughter, their daughter do that, would they? You want to know who the other person is. Now, that doesn't happen in the story. And we see something very interesting. Because before that happens, before Rebecca goes away, in Mary Isaac, verses 26 and 27 anticipate the success of the servant. Although at this point, the servant doesn't know for sure that Rebecca will go with him. Look at what he does. Verses 26 and 27. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forgotten his steadfast love and his faithfulness to, toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Now, why does he pray like this if he doesn't know yet if Rebecca will go with him? He says in his prayer, that God has not forgotten his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards Abraham. Yes, he found the woman, but he doesn't know yet if she will go with him. He seems so sure of what's going to happen. Why? Well, let's go to the first part of the prayer, the first prayer he makes. He doesn't pray like many like many of us do sometimes. He doesn't just say, God, please, please, God, grant me success. He says that, but he says a lot more. See the prayer in verses 12 through 14. Oh, Lord, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming to draw out water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. What can we learn from his prayer? Well, let me tell you, this is the key to fulfillment. You see, the prayer is very specific. According to the story, everything happened just as he asked. So one thing we learn is that we need to be specific in prayer, but there's a lot more. There's something bigger yet. The servant says, he uses this phrase, show steadfast love to my master. God has not forgotten his steadfast love and his faithfulness to Abraham. Now, this phrase, the steadfast love, is, is the Hebrew term 
has said. And that word is a reference to the covenant that God made, made with Abraham. Now, the idea be, behind that word, it's a permanent commitment. Commitment that never gives up. A commitment that doesn't depend on the worthiness of the dignity of the person who receives the love of God. In fact, if you remember, Abraham was a pagan. He worshipped other gods. He lied and put uh, Sarah in danger a couple of times because of it. He didn't trust God and had a son with Sarah's servant. So this prayer, his prayer is, did you know something? The servant is not only praying for his mission, for the task Abraham gave him. Yeah, he's praying for that, but he's praying for much more. He's praying that God will continue to honor the promise he made to Abraham. God, honor your promise to my master, to Abraham. In other words, he's praying for God's honor. Remember what you told my master? That you will do this for him? Well, do it. Your name is on the line. He's praying for that so that Abraham and his descendants, and even you and I, will see the kind of love God has for us. A love for those who don't deserve it. Love for those who have failed him many times. Now, how many times do we pray like this? I think almost never. Yet this is part of the key to the fulfillment. We should pray not only that we can have a good life and be successful. That we can accomplish all our dreams. We should pray that God be worshipped through what we do. Through what we accomplish. I'm very sure there's something you'd like to have in this moment of your life. Maybe... There's, I don't know, a situation that you'd like for it to be different. Now, let me ask you this. How would God receive more honor and glory? By you thanking Him because you got what you wanted so bad. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you because this is what I wanted all my life. Will he get more honor and glory by you doing that? Or would he do so by you thanking him and living for him even though you didn't get what you wanted? Even though you didn't get what you want? It doesn't matter who we are. 
this is the task God gives us all. That we would live for him. That he would be the center of our lives, whether we're parents or children or workers or employers or employees, students. Are we going to fulfill it? I know some will ask, well, is it even possible to live like this? To praise God when he doesn't give me what I want? But it is possible. See, whatever task God gives us is possible because we pray? No. Not mainly, not primarily, but because he goes before us. When the servant asked Abraham, okay, Abraham, what do I do if I find a woman, but he doesn't wanna, she doesn't want to come with me? Abraham says, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. At the very end of the day, at the end of the day, the servant was successful. Why? Because he prayed? Because he did all, all he humanly speaking, he, do, he did all he could? No. He was successful because God sent his angel before him. And you know what? In our case, your case, in my case, God didn't send an angel. He sent Jesus, his son. And because of him, we can live for God. Because of Jesus, we can fulfill whatever task he gives us. The Apostle John says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if you think you're good enough, you're strong enough to do whatever is given to you, Jesus can do nothing for you. But if you admit that you're weaker than you think you are, if you admit that you are worse than you think you are, John says that he, Jesus, takes away your sin. The Apostle Paul said, in Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ. And then in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God treated Jesus as we deserve to be treated because of our sin. And this is the reason we now can pray like a servant. This is the reason we want to fulfill whatever task God gives us. We deserve condemnation, but we receive love and forgiveness. This is the reason we want others to know the God who rather than ended up 
condemning, condemning us, forgave us and loved us. Now, if you have believed this, then there's power in you. Once again, Paul says, Second Timothy, first chapter, verse 7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, then the very same power who raised Jesus, that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. So that you can go ahead and fulfill your God-given task. Let us pray.